0: The Startup to Scale Up Game Plan is brought to you by Alpena Search, Europe's premier talent search firm dedicated to helping technology startups and scale-ups recruit high-impact executives. Now over to your host, Gary Riemann. My guest on today's episode of the Startup to Scale Up Game Plan is Martin Adams, CEO and co-founder of Kodak. Whose audience intelligence platform enables marketing decisions to be driven by data and evidence rather than simply gut and instinct and feel. So, Kodak were the winners of the best artificial intelligence product in marketing at Cognition X 2019. They've also won and been nominated for many other industry and startup awards. And they're backed by some of the Largest investors on the planet, including 500 startups and uh, Telefonica. So, uh, Martin, a a very warm welcome. Thank Thank you very much. Delighted to be here. Me too. So, Martin, you started out as a social media entrepreneur in the UK, then you moved to the States, completed a law degree at Harvard, became an IP lawyer in Manhattan, and then you returned to the UK to join Songkick stayed there for two or three years before launching Codec. Now, that's a fascinating path into software entrepreneurship. I'd love to hear more about how and why you've made those choices. It's not necessarily
1: a kind of clear linear path, and I find most interesting journeys sort of seldom are. I kind of stumbled upon the power of social data, I guess. So as a student in London, a law student, and my brother and a couple of friends were working sort of in the entertainment space and working with lots of clubs and, and things like that. And were kind of were given this impossible brief, essentially, which was, could we fill out places like Fabric Nightclub without doing any public promotion at all? And we quite quickly realized that we had insight and access to Facebook when it was student only at that point we could see how these kind of new networks and behaviors were forming on these social platforms. And we saw that really social data hadn't been considered fully as a source of data that could drive decision-making and intelligence. So from that point, we started to build up our own networks. We started to ask ourselves what content will work with audiences and different networks on these platforms. And that sort of started really an obsession with using social data to drive creative and strategic decisions. And along the way, I think it would be fair to say that as a sort of scrappy social entrepreneur, I realized and and we realized that there were limitations to the existing business models that we were trying to use to kind of encase the analysis of that data. And that was basically that they were too human. They They relied too much on human analysis. And therefore, I became pretty obsessed with intellectual property and wanted to understand it at its zenith at its kind of absolute nth degree. So I thought where, where better to do that than to go to Harvard Law School. I've been lucky enough to be offered a place there to do a master's in advanced intellectual property law. And I was kind of besotted with the place on another level as well, because it was obviously the birthplace of Facebook and the birthplace, therefore, of, of kind of my introductory source of social data. For those two reasons, I went along there learned everything that there is to learn about IP, practiced IP as a data privacy lawyer in New York, and then came back to the UK to start to put these two pieces of experience together. This, the commercial side of using social data to drive creative and strategic decision-making and doing so around a business that had IP at its core and that would truly scale and offer sort of terminal shareholder value. That's really been my journey and that's what's taken us to where we are with Kodak.
0: A hero's journey, or at least you're perhaps halfway along hero's journey. So fascinating to hear about that. Did you actually engage at all in those early days or perhaps even before you launched business with Mark Zuckerberg or any of his initial entourage? No, unfortunately. And I'm sure my...
1: Hero's Journey would be more interesting if I had. Frankly, I had the same sort of introductory experience that most students at that time had to Facebook. It was a phenomenon. It was a kind of once-in-a-generation type thing. It was not entirely new in the sense that, obviously, it was allowing for potential network effects, but because it was leveraging locational aspects of that as well, because it was based on sort of campuses, and university campuses, It just seemed like a a new, more exciting expression of sort of network effects and power of social data. And So I think my introduction was the same as everyone else's. I think that we were just lucky enough at that point to actually have a a problem that we were trying to solve, which was this impossible brief from the clubs of London to say, we don't want you to sour our reputation by advertising your student nights to a bunch of students and affecting our brand. So you need to manage to sell these clubs out. We're doing no public promotion. So we were lucky enough to have a problem that we wanted to solve and just to connect the dots really to this phenomenal new rise of this new social network. And that's really how it came about. It wasn't that we were privy to any particular access to key individuals in the Facebook story.
0: You mentioned when we last spoke one of the secrets of codec success is taking a truly contrary approach to the market. I think the
1: very genesis of the problem that we are trying to solve at, at Codec is, in some senses, quite contrary. We essentially deliver intelligence into brands and publishers around the world to help them use our software to understand what content marketing any audience across the world wants them to make before they have to make it now that's traditionally been seen as quite a human problem as one that sort of involves a a very much analysis of people and degrees of emotional intelligence to be able to sort of work out what will work with different people then the very human creative process of actually making that content So when the contrariness of kind of starting our business was to say that actually machine learning could be useful in that very human process, we met many people who sort of told us that it couldn't be done and that the better place to focus our energies and effort would be to kind of go to familiar investors and present a familiar problem, maybe the problem of ad tech sort of just buying eyeballs in a slightly more efficient way and that that would be a an easier path through for us as entrepreneurs but we really didn't want to do that we wanted to focus on this other problem this more upstream and human problem from the early days of recruiting kind of co-founders and early technologists into the company we had to justify and present a credible vision as to why we thought that there was a genuine big business to build here and that it was a software business rather than simply an agency. And I think that that sort of spirit has, I guess, imbued everything else we've done in terms of who we've hired, even the sort of types of investors that we've gone for. We very much screen our investors to see if they understand the excitement about solving that human problem and that they sort of understand the, I guess, the kind of the skills that you need to do that. And in that sense, we've deliberately sort of eschewed going to VC investors too early, or I guess, you know, whilst we're humble in the way that we run the business, we do try and make sure that they believe in our vision before they invest rather than simply seeing a, an economic opportunity. And that is quite contrary. I think the more sort of startup founders that you meet and scale up founders that you meet, you realize along the path, many come to regret kind of taking the easier route and taking the money that's available from the investor who thinks that it's a great economic opportunity. And I think often that doesn't actually lead to the best outcome for either party.
0: Do you plan or aim or have the vision of creating a brand new product category? Is that the ultimate aim? Or are you evolving an existing product category? It's a really good question.
1: We consider ourselves to be a contextual data platform. Really, we are a, a data business that made a few calls on what the future of the data world would look like and that it would, broadly speaking, move away from personally identifiable information and cookies towards a more kind of environmental and contextual analysis of what anonymized individuals and networks interact with. And in that sense, we're a data business, but we bring that data to life through a product experience. And that product experience sits alongside a number of fundamental sort of marketing or creative decisions. And they're primarily segmentation of audiences, the actual creative intelligence into what to actually make, and then the distribution to these anonymized individuals and networks. And in that sense, we are kind of building out a new category that maybe our type of buyer isn't so familiar with. They can't just put us in a narrow sort of pot, which they're more used to doing with more traditional SaaS businesses. You know, that's a segmentation tool or that's an ad tech tool. Because we're a fundamentally a data business that brings that data to life through a product experience, we sort of traverse all of them. That's both exciting, but it's also sometimes a challenge in terms of our positioning and
0: explanation of what we do. Going back to that earlier point on VCs, it was interesting that you emphasized taking the tougher route, You emphasized being exceedingly selective with investors and ensuring that they truly share your vision for the business, for the future. And I get the sense that you've actually avoided taking the easy money. You could maybe take some money on terms that were less attractive to you as an entrepreneur or from investors that you found couldn't add much value to your business, even though they could invest plenty of money. So what's your advice for other software entrepreneurs who are engaging with investors who are trying to work their way through that? of minefield yeah i think without being too sort of spiritual
1: on this one i think you have to fundamentally ask yourself early on in the process of building your business why you're building your business the it's a lonely road out there being a founding entrepreneur it's really really tricky lots of people most people don't understand what you're doing. They don't understand the industry that you're trying to make an impact within. They certainly don't understand the specifics of the solution that you're proposing to, to build. And therefore, you are often vulnerable to looking for easy pats on the back. There's very few that are more compelling than being able to say, we raised a ton of money from a well-known investor. Everyone recognizes that, your family, your friends, even kind of yourself to a certain point. And that's a really dangerous sort of seduction, I think. So I think it's about being very clear on why you're doing what you're doing and what you're going to think is a decent kind of milestone that you believe means something. And I don't think that that has to be, you know, that doesn't have to be s- truly abstract. That could be something about achieving a revenue milestone. It could be that when you sat down and jotted out the first plan for your business, you named 10 key customers that you really would consider yourself to sort of an in inverted commas have arrived at a particular point if you had managed to snare and retain them. I would set yourself some other metric that you think defines success that allows you to withstand the seductiveness of sort of a well-known brand offering you lots of money. And then when it comes to the actual process of kind of going out there and sitting with investors, I would not, I think, sorry, entrepreneurs probably spend at least 80% of the time with investors pitching them. You know, it's the perennial thing of you get into a room with an investor and your deck with your logo is already preloaded on the screen. I would fundamentally resist that. And I would get very much into trying, especially in the first meetings, I would get very much into trying to understand their agenda, their experience, their interest in the space, not just on a fund level, but on a specific partner level. Has this partner actually invested in businesses in your space? Is he passionate about or she passionate about this particular topic? And do your diligence the other side. And I think all too often that's not the case.
0: Great advice for any up-and-coming tech entrepreneurs. Very time-consuming, though, to do that sort of due diligence. and. I wonder whether everyone is going to be prepared to put the time and effort into that versus taking the easy route out. It's a big name. They're offering us a big check. I'll take the money and run with it.
1: I mean, there are forms of diligence. You can get yourself in a position where you've got the offer and then you go to a network that you hopefully have and you kind of ask for other people's experiences with that particular partner or that particular fund it's a lesser form of diligence but it's still something. Yeah, I would encourage people to at least do something.
0: Looking ahead now, what are your goals for 2020 and what's your vision for the business beyond that?
1: As we said, you know, we're fundamentally a contextual data sort of platform and we've really broadened out throughout 2019 to ensure that our customers from Unilever, L'Oreal, Procter and Gamble, people like that can use us across the whole gamut of decision-making from that segmentation to creation and distribution piece. We operate internationally at the moment, but we kind of only have our premises here in London. So 2020 for us is about making the real strides into the US market, attracting, retaining talent there, building on top of our existing revenue base that we have there. And adding to our headcount and our sort of our revenue base but without losing track of who we are, we're a 35, nearly 40 person company now, and we've certainly seen that the adding people is a, is a time-consuming process, and it does force you to ask questions about sort of your culture and the kind of ask those foundational questions again of like, why did you start this? What are you trying to build? And I think that we're really excited to continue to deliver sort of success that our shareholders would recognize while recognizing and delivering on the sort of success that that we actually care about as well, which is why we started the business in the first place, which is, broadly speaking,
0: build a work culture that's fun and creative and where people can grow. What's the best business advice that you've ever been given by someone outside of your company? Advice that's really made a difference to the way you behave and to the way you you're leading your business
1: to be honest it's probably from my brother who said just keep it simple and i know that that in itself is kind of a truism because it's a very simple piece (laughs) of advice but essentially i think that we as entrepreneurs we become specialists extremely quickly in quite kind of relatively narrow areas often And we have a bias because obviously the people that we end up hiring, we hope that they have experience in that sector and we hope that they develop a passion for solving this problem. So there's an awful lot of uh, revolving around quite a niche, narrow sort of part of the universe, (laughs) basically. And when you go out and you talk to potential partners, you talk to recruiters, you talk to even clients and certainly when you talk to investors, it really does help you to remind yourself that they don't spend even a fraction of their lives thinking about this niche as much as you do. And so your messaging needs to be foundational, the kind of the reasons why you're doing what you're doing and what you're actually doing, you know, the actual the details on your solution just need to be simple, fundamental
0: keep it simple, stupid. (laughs) It sounds like your brother gave you far better advice than my brother gave me when I was uh, in my mid-teens. My older brother gave me probably the worst advice you could ever give to a a young lad, which was never be the first person in a bar to buy a round for everyone else. (laughs) I wish he'd given me the opposite advice, actually, but you live and learn. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, great getting to know a little bit more about you and uh, Kodak, Martin, I wish you and the team phenomenal success over the coming months and years and look forward to hearing more about you going on to achieving that vision of yours in uh, 2020 and beyond. Thanks a lot, Kari. This episode of the Startup to Scale Up Game Plan was brought to you by Alpina Search. Head over to www.alpinasearch.com for advice on scaling your technology startup and recruiting high impact senior talent.